0: This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. It's a serious threat to life as we know it. It's called electromagnetic pulse, or EMP. Without government steps to protect the national electrical grid, all of us remain at risk. We'll
1: have the story. When the electricity goes out, we only have enough food in the United States to feed 330 million people for 30 days. Water is even more important than food, and that immediately goes away.
0: Then, when the pandemic finally ends, some schools plan to continue virtual learning, though some parents question its effectiveness.
2: This would be one option among many. Imagine a district where there's 20 schools. Perhaps there would be one K-12 virtual school added to the mix. Stay with us.
0: InfoTrek begins right after this. Infotrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Our national electrical grid powers daily life in America, but a serious threat called Electromagnetic Pulse or EMP could pose a deadly risk to all of us. With this story, here's Infotrack's Roy Mackey. Roy?
2: Thank you, Chris. Peter Vincent Pry is the executive director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security, which is a congressional advisory board. He served as chief of staff on the Congressional EMP Committee for 16 years and is the author of several books on the EMP issue. So, Dr. Pry, just to set the stage for those not familiar with an electromagnetic pulse attack or EMP, describe what it is and what it would affect.
1: An EMP is basically a super energetic radio wave. It's got so much energy in it that it can destroy electronics. And it can be caused by natural phenomena like the sun, a geomagnetic superstorm from the sun, you know, which could basically cause an EMP that could wipe out electronic systems across the entire Earth, the entire world. A nuclear weapon can make an EMP, a single nuclear weapon detonated at high altitude, so high up that you wouldn't even hear the explosion or see it happen. But it can generate an EMP that would wipe out electronics across North America. And then there are non-nuclear EMP weapons that have much more limited ranges, you know, that use a radio frequency, very short wavelengths to achieve a similar effect. But still a team of terrorists equipped with radio frequency weapons would be able to black out North America and achieve similar effects that could be done with a nuclear weapon.
2: You mentioned terrorism. What do you believe is the most likely source of an EMP attack on the United States?
1: The most likely is a solar EMP because it's inevitable and it's sure to happen someday and it can't be deterred. Fortunately, they're rare. They happen once every 100 years, 150 years. We nearly got hit with one in the year 2012 on July 23rd when a a Carrington-class coronal mass ejection just missed the Earth by three days. Had it impacted Earth Electric grids and other critical infrastructures that are vital for the survival of billions of lives would have been collapsed very quickly. NASA estimates that the likelihood is 12% per decade, it's sure to happen, and 12% per decade virtually guarantees that within our lifetimes, or at the latest, that of our grandchildren, we'll get hit with a natural EMP from the sun.
2: I've read some estimates that an EMP incident on U.S. soil could leave 90% of the U.S. population dead within a year. Is that hyperbole, or is that conceivable?
1: That's not hyperbole. In fact, that's an estimate from the Congressional EMP Commission, on which I served as chief of staff. The reason for that is because we only have enough food in the United States to feed 330 million people for 30 days, and the food supply would begin going bad as soon as the EMP hits because most of that food is stored in big regional warehouses and it needs to be refrigerated and have tempered control systems, all of which require electricity. So when the electricity goes out, the food supply starts diminishing immediately and you've only got enough to feed people for 30 days. Water is even more important than food and that immediately goes away and it requires enormous amounts of electricity to pump water, to purify water, And people cannot live without food and water. And of course, we know from the example of hurricanes, even when we have relatively uh, regionally isolated blackouts that last for uh, relatively short periods of time, societal cohesion starts breaking down very quickly. In fact, there's a rule of thumb that seems to be pretty accurate, that after people miss their third meal, society starts turning anarchic. You kind of can look at things that happened in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, for example, where uh, the worst elements of society started coming out and having firefights with the police right out in the open, engaging in looting and robbery and all kinds of chaos, basically within 24 hours of the blackout happening.
2: I last did an interview on this topic on InfoTrack in 2009 with the executive director of the EMP Commission on which you served. What progress has been made in the last 10 years or so to prepare U.S. infrastructure for an EMP attack?
1: Well, I'm sad to say, in Washington, planning, conferences, reports, all represent progress. Outside of Washington, when people think of progress, they mean what has actually been done to protect For example, transformers by installing blocking devices and surge arresters and Faraday cages and the like. That's what most people think of when they ask for progress. And there's been a lot of reports and conferences and meetings and talk that's been done among the various departments and agencies of the U.S. government. But no real progress, not a single transformer has yet even been pardoned or protected against EMP yet. I'm sorry to say despite the fact the president passed an executive order in 2019 that was supposed to put this on a fast track.
2: It sounds like a pretty expensive proposition to do all that. No, it isn't. We estimated that
1: it would cost between 2 to $4 billion to protect the electric grid. And it wouldn't even be taxpayer money. When you think about the threat from the sun or from a nuclear weapon, or even these non-nuclear EMP weapons, sometimes people have the mistaken impression that the EMP threat is so great that it's sort of like being struck by an asteroid, you know, and there's really nothing you can do about it. And so that it's one of those existential threats that you just have to live with. That's not true. That's why I and many of my colleagues have devoted our professional careers to trying to get the country protected against this. And we as a society have already demonstrated once that we can do it. There's another form of EMP out there that we haven't talked about. In the lexicon of the EMP world, it's called E2 EMP. It's a middle frequency EMP. And it's caused by nature. Lightning. You know, lightning happens all the time. It's a very powerful phenomenon. It looks really scary when you can see what a lightning bolt can do. But you know, almost everything electronic in our society is protected from lightning. The personal computer on my desk, our telephone system, automobiles, all kinds of things have the lightning hardness designed right into them. And we didn't launch a Manhattan Project to do that. We just decided that because as a society, since lightning happens all the time, you can't be an electronic civilization without having lightning protection. We just have standards so that pretty much everything that gets built has lightning hardness built right into it. That's just the cost of doing business. That's the way we think about it. And so, nobody has to spend extra money on taxes or anything, you know, consumers basically pay for it whenever they buy a personal computer or any electronic device. And the same principle, that same approach can be used for these rarer but more catastrophic forms of EMP. You know, we can design EMP hardness for nuclear EMP or natural EMP right into these systems, and it can be done painlessly. So people wouldn't even know what's happening just by changing the design characteristics And it's the same kinds of technologies. You know, we've got surge arresters and Faraday cages and blocking devices for lightning, but they need to be made faster and harder to accommodate these more powerful, more energetic, but rarer electromagnetic threats.
2: Is there anything you would advise the average American to do to prepare for a catastrophic event like an EMP?
1: Yes, store food and water, stockpile food and water, have a medicine kit and know how to use it. You might want to invest in an electric generator, keep it turned on manual so that it would survive a nuclear EMP or a man-made EMP and not have the button on automatic. Think about where you live. If you're living in a major metropolitan area that's going to crumble into chaos, you might want to think about having a farm in the country or talk to friends or relatives who may live out in the country where it's going to be safer and more survivable. And get active. People should become politically active about this thing. Write to your congressman, your senator, say, look, we've got an executive order. Don't let the U.S. government screw up EMP protection the way they screwed up preparedness for COVID. We were supposed to be ready for biological threats. We spent decades and billions of dollars supposedly getting ready, but the government is so incompetent. and The same phenomena kind of is happening with EMP.
2: You wrote in a recent column that, quote, a nuclear Pearl Harbor may begin and end World War III. Can you explain that?
1: Sure. In the original Pearl Harbor, you know, they weren't able to take out the whole country in that surprise attack, just the Pacific fleet. And so we were able to get up off the floor and harness the vast military industrial capabilities of the United States to recover from Pearl Harbor and fight on to win World War II. But in the nuclear missile age, that may not be possible. A nuclear Pearl Harbor will involve, no doubt, an EMP attack to paralyze our critical infrastructures, paralyze our nuclear forces, as well as direct attacks on things like bomber bases, submarine bases, and ICBM silos. Even if you're just talking about the EMP and we're not prepared to survive that, There probably would be no coming back from that, which is another reason why we need to harden both our military forces and our vulnerable civilian critical infrastructures, so that we do not make ourselves a tempting target to countries like Russia, China, and North Korea.
2: Peter Benson Prime, Executive Director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey.
0: Next, after COVID, should virtual learning continue? That story, coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this.